Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 2 of Golden Stats of Mind. It's me, Brady Klopfer, along with the legend... Dubby Dub Dubs, and we got Joe on the podcast with us this time. We are here to break down the first round matchup between the Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers. How you guys doing? I feel good. Let's, Joe, how, how are the Philippines? It's uh, pretty damn hot here. Actually, it's summertime here. <laughs> it's like, I wish I, I wish I was there in the Bay. I guess it's, I, love, I love the weather there right now, so... Right here, it's like 90 plus degrees Fahrenheit, so yeah. Hot as Steph Curry's jump shot. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he'll do that against the Clippers. Yeah, knock on wood. Right? All right, well, um, I'm going to sort of work to keep us on schedule because talking to people, um, I've heard that there's a strong preference to keep these around an hour. So that's sort of our target. So Basically, we want to talk about sort of the general playoffs, how they shook out in both the East and West, and then we'll drill down into the Clippers. What's our biggest concern? Uh, some interesting stats and matchups that you think would be indicative of how the series went. And then uh, what's one modification that you'd make to Kerr's game plan? Uh, put you in the, in the coach's seat for a minute. Perfect. That's a very um, on-brand for Warriors fans. Yeah, I know. We should have like recruited someone angry from Twitter to to talk about spamming the pick and roll or something. Yeah, I'd name names, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> put a lot of people on blast. Put all, yeah, just leave it all on out there. Yeah, so um, I guess in the East, the big surprise is the Celtics, who are now going to be a surprise if they even make it out of that first round. They're up against the team that's playing without the Oladipo, but they still have been really good. I still think the Celtics will beat the Pacers. I think so too, but that Marcus Smart injury can hurt. It'll hurt. I mean, it'll make it a bit more difficult than it should be, but I think they'll take it in, I think, five or six. That sounds about right. I think, I think I'd, go, I'd go six, but it's one of those ones that could go any way because I think there is the potential for Boston to just kind of wither and fall apart they've got injuries they've had their fair share of like locker room issues and i think they'll pull all together they have the best players in that series still when you have Kyrie and horford and and tatum they're they're still the more talented and better coached team but it'll be interesting to see especially with the pressure they're going to be facing if they drop the first game lose home court advantage indy has nothing to lose exactly yeah they weren't really playing that great before they lost Marcus Smart. So, unless you're hoping for some kind of winning effect, I mean, the Celtics team really hasn't been on this year at any point. I, I, I just don't trust them to, to get it all together. They do have the edge and playoff experience and, and top-end talent, which I think probably matters a lot more in the playoffs than it does in the regular season. 
that's a tough out. Basically, the way I see it, Celtics played in some in some ways similarly to how the Warriors play played this season. Like they didn't take a lot of things seriously enough as they should have. The difference is, of course, the Warriors are more talented. They're capable of playing through the uh, the dog days, and of course, they're proven. So they don't really need to like. Uh, the pressure isn't there as much for the Warriors as it is for the Celtics because the Celtics haven't even proved anything. So, right, yeah. You know, we were we were talking in the Slack chat today about you know Kevin how Kevin Durant doesn't get the same same sort of level of respect from having delivered as an isolation scorer in the playoffs, and uh, immediately thought of Kyrie Irving who is a guy who has like hit a couple of big shots and one very, very huge shot. And um, I mean, he's good all the time, but I definitely think that his reputation really uh, is is strongly correlated with how he's done in just, you know, a very small sample size. Very small. (laughs) No, I I, I see what you're saying, Dubby. I I was, I threw that onto Twitter a few days ago because I was curious what the perception would be if the Celtics lost this series, because I think Kyrie more so than any current player, I think considerably more so than any active player has his reputation tied to his performance in the playoffs. And I've had a lot of arguments, obviously in our Slack chat where I'm, uh, well, I've had a lot <laughs> yes. of, about everything, private, <laughs> yeah, many, 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 but I've, I've been pretty vocally lower on Kyrie Irving than a lot of people, because I think he gets, maybe a little bit too much credit for making shots that are absolutely incredible, but that I don't necessarily think is predictive of what he's going to do the next time he has that opportunity, especially when he's not playing off of LeBron James anymore. So I think it'll be very curious to see how the public perception of him changes this year. If they get knocked out in the first round or even in the second round, presumably they're going to get beat by, the Bucks, and it'll be curious to see what people say if that series isn't even competitive. Hey, I was told that Kyrie's the best point guard in the league by <laughs> Twitter. So they're wrong. They're wrong, Joe. <laughs> okay, but let's let's do talk about the Bucks. So the number one Bucks are taking on the number eight Detroit Pistons. Our old pal uh, Blake Griffin. Ugh, I feel like Detroit's kind of kind of trash. Bucks and four. Bucks and four. Bucks and four, right? I mean, there's not a lot to <laughs> yeah. talk about there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I admire what Blake Griffin and the Pistons have done, like, to really make themselves competitive, but I don't think it'll be enough. It's it's the Bucks, you know. They're really going to just trash them all over, I think. Maybe you I'm know, just a Pistons bit too harsh on the Pistons. Maybe they'll inexplicably. Yeah, <laughs> I don't but, think me or Brady are going to argue this point with you. <laughs> Maybe I'm just being too nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't think they're not good. Are they? They're below 500. I think they finished either one, two games below 500, or maybe at 500. Okay, 41, 41, negative differential, negative net rating. Yeah, that's team. They're gonna get run over. Giannis right. can guard Blake Griffin, yeah. and no one else. Unless you know the Pistons do their own version of we believe. If we get Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard going for, you know, 30 or 40 a night. That's the thing, though, is like their sort of twin tower with wing shooters game is like really not suited to beat the Bucks, even if the talent was closer. 
Yeah, there, there's just nothing they can do. Forget that. We've, we've talked enough about that. Uh, this one's I think, is probably the most interesting out east is the Sixers and Nets. Now, yeah. Joel Embiid has some sort of knee thing going right now, yes. doesn't he? He has not yet been cleared to play in the in the opener. Is that the same knee that's been bothering him? Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's why they got Embiid in the first place, right? Because he dropped. Yeah, he dropped to three, I believe, because of that. Yeah, it says uh, GM Elton Brand said that he's optimistic that Joel Embiid will be ready for game one, but when pressed, conceded that it's possible the all-star center won't play. I feel like that's the one time when the word optimistic is not good. Like, I feel like a GM saying optimistic, that's just Ten code games. for, oh, yeah. uh, shit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm optimistic, but realistically, nah. Yeah, well, you know, I think this is maybe a, a part of fandom that we don't really talk about because it's so gosh darn boring and there's really nothing to do about it. But the concept of uncertainty, um, you know, here on Golden Stats of Mind, we care about all things statistical. But the idea of uncertainty and hoping for something to work out. But the truth is, is that he really doesn't know. You know, they're talking about Steph Curry's ankle in the same way of like, oh, you know, he'll he'll probably be betting 100 percent, close to 100 percent by the time Saturday rolls around. Yeah. You really just don't know. And I think that's the problem. And Bede is like, even if he comes back, I mean, it's still not great. It's a it's an interesting matchup for them, even if he's healthy. I mean, they're clearly a way better team than Brooklyn, but even Brett Brown was talking today. I saw a video of him talking about how they are worried about Brooklyn's pick and roll and how Philly just has no way to defend that. And it's a question that they don't have an answer for. And hearing a coach be kind of that transparent about it it was refreshing, but interesting, but I think we're going to get close games. I think Philly's just way too talented for the series to end up being very close, but I think all of the games are going to be. I know like in the playoffs, the rotations get shorter. The bench doesn't matter as much, but the 76ers depth is kind of have been their biggest weakness. And especially with MB being out, you know, they, that, that bench depth might come into play. So I'm like, personally, I don't think it'll be that much of a factor, but you know, maybe in, but didn't they just, they augmented a lot at the trade deadline. Didn't they also get another big? Yeah, they got, well, they just signed Greg Monroe because of Embiid's injury. So they have Monroe, they have Mike Scott, then at other positions, they got James Ennis and Jonathan Simmons, but I don't have any faith in either of those players. Yeah. Ennis is still out. So yeah. So really, I mean, your backup wings is are going to be Jonathan Simmons or Furkan Korkmaz. As I'm saying, is, is Philadelphia is going to be put in a bad spot because even if Embiid comes back, you can't really ride him heavy minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a heavy minute player throughout most of the season, which is already tough for a big guy. But like on a bum knee, you're just praying you can get the series over quick. And then you have J.J. Redick, who's getting up there in years, he probably can't play heavy minutes quite like he used to. Jimmy Butler, who's had his own series of general soreness and whatnot. Uh, So, I mean, assuming they make it to the second round, chances are they're probably going to be a little bit more beat up just from riding that starting five. 
than you would want to be going into a second round series against a damn good Raptors team. Oh man, right. yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna have a hard time. With okay, that. well let's 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 gloss over that Raptors magic one too, just for the sake of time, because murder, uh, murder, murder. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's yeah. all I got to say. Murder. Okay, so out west, let's let's start with the the one that I think is probably the least interesting to me would be the the Nuggets and Spurs two versus the seven seed. I just I, I can't see anything but the Nuggets winning that one. I think. I think the only way that that series will get interesting is if the Spurs go up something like two zero or two one. I'll I'll tune into that because, I mean, just to see how much the Nuggets have messed things up. Like how how can they let themselves be down in a series against the seven seed Spurs? Which you know nothing against Pop, nothing against what they've accomplished this season. But yeah, I fully expect the Nuggets to win that one. But it's it's still Pop, so you never know. I mean, Denver's been sliding over the last few weeks, and I feel like people are taking that to mean that they're going to be a huge mess in the playoffs, but they're still just so much better than San Antonio. And the Spurs, with as reliant as they are on DeRozan and Aldridge shooting mid-range jumpers, like that can be exploited pretty yeah. easily in the playoffs. Like That offense is horrendous. It's yeah. just yeah. so bad. That Kawhi trade where they had to throw in Danny Green was not great for them. Yeah, that because, I mean, their offensive rating this year has been really good. But when you lose players like Danny Green and all that spacing, then you get to the playoffs and people start game planning to take advantage of those less efficient shots. And you can't get on the offensive glass quite as hard. I just don't see it working. And their defense is truly, truly horrendous. The Nuggets? Or the Spurs? No, the Spurs. Although they did, they did have a recent stretch where they ramped it up, right? Yeah, it's gotten it's gotten better. Yeah. It, let's see where they finished at. Their defense finished twentieth by cleaning 20th, the glass. Yeah. So that's better. It was like twenty six, twenty eight for like the first half of the season. So. All right. What about the uh, what about the Blazers Thunder? This is where I think the Blazers will get will really miss Nurkic. They will really miss his services. Because, I mean, I don't know who who they'll have against Adams. Yeah, I, I guess they have. Do they have Cantor? They they do, but You're he's so unplayable pumped. in the playoffs. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I I feel like there's something about people who you used to always beat up on in practice. You know, when you play basketball, there's certain people who you just maybe you're better than. Them, than them, maybe you're not, but there's just certain people who you sort of own the matchup against. And I feel like um, Cantor is on the losing side of that exchange for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's not that you're bad. It's just like everybody seems to be better than you when you go up against them. And there's also the element of he played for the Thunder and he got played off of the floor in that playoff series for them. Yeah. He was just completely yeah. unplayable. So, you know, Russell Westbrook he has seen firsthand that once the playoffs come around, that complete lack of defensive ability from Cantor is a death sentence. And I mean, you run a pick and roll with Russ and Adams, you're getting two points every time. It's going to go right at him. Okay. And then uh, let's talk about the Rockets and then we'll finally get into the Warriors matchup. The Rockets versus the Jazz. 
Number four versus number five. Now, the Rockets took a huge slide on the closing night. Uh, there's, a, there's a number of, of late-game shenanigans. <laughs> it's a kind way of putting it. That was a wild final night. So what happened? So the Blazers came back from 28 down to beat the Kings. With six which, guys. <laughs> of some sort of like Byzantine NBA book tiebreaker bumps the Houston Rockets all the way down to the fourth seed. I guess not all the way down. They were probably looking at it to be the three. They were going to be the three, but Denver came back from down 11 with three minutes left. And if they had lost that, then Houston would have been the second 15-0 seed. 15-0 fourth quarter run to do that. So for a little bit there, it was looking like Houston was locked into the second seed. And then both of those games just completely flipped. Yeah. I, blame, I blame Andrew Wiggins. I blame Andrew Wiggins. Always blame Andrew Wiggins. Always blame Andrew Wiggins. So now the Rockets are on the same side of the bracket uh, as the Warriors and Jazz. Brutal. Which means the Rockets probably have the toughest. Well, I guess anybody who plays the Warriors really has the toughest path out of the West. But the Rockets have a very, very challenging road out of the uh, out of the even the opening round. Man, I, I could really see the Jazz giving him some fits. I don't know. I haven't really watched those matchups a whole bunch. It's going to be a fascinating, fascinating matchup, I think. I think Houston still has the edge. They've just been playing so well in the second half of the season. Um, And Ricky Rubio is a little banged up, which certainly doesn't help. But, Mm -hmm. man, Utah is... I mean, I don't need to tell you guys how many arguments I have with people about the Jazz, but... Rudy, Rudy Gobert, enough said. Yeah, for the people who are listening at home, Brady loves Gobert. <laughs> like I think he's a sensational Pantheon player. Sort of level. Second coming of Wilt Chamberlain. I think it is a federal offense that he was not voted to the All-Star team. I, 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 I agree with that, yeah. Thank you. But, I mean... At people, least with that. <laughs> people forget that this... people. I feel like the Jazz don't get enough credit because they had such a difficult schedule at the beginning of the year. And Donovan Mitchell had a little bit of a sophomore slump to start the season, but they finished the league. They finished Mm -hmm. third in the league in net rating first in defense by a comfortable margin. These, all these um, rating stats for anyone listening out there are by are through cleaning the glass. So if they look a little bit different than what you see on NBA.com, it's because cleaning the glass filters out garbage time and the possessions at the end of quarters that aren't going to yield high percentage shots, things that aren't very indicative of what a team is actually capable of. Yeah, so the, the Bucks, according to NBA, the Bucks actually have the best uh, defensive rating by, you know, three-tenths. Of- Whereas cleaning the glass has Utah ahead of them by 1.1 points per 100 possessions see but that's because the bucks have been blowing people out yeah i'm not sure i agree with artificially deflating the defensive rating yeah that's a fair point i mean i think some of it comes from the fact that the quinn snyder is pretty quick once utah has a lead to go to the very back of the bench and then you have well sometimes you have our old buddy ekpe udo in there playing defense but uh my boy Good old Udo. I was honestly I was more upset about him getting traded than Monte. Oh man, I had I had 
high. I've been hopes. so wrong about so, so many players, guys. <laughs> hey, don't don't get me started on Ike Diagu. <laughs> oh man, that guy looked good. He looked so Ike good. Diagu. Last time I saw him, last time I saw him was his Nigeria team was getting blown the f out against the USA in 2012. <laughs> well, one man can only do so much. Sorry, we're getting way off way off topic here. My love of my love of the jazz is taking me in weird places. This is this is halftime right here. This is about a half hour into our hour show. Well, there we go. Maybe we should um, start talking about the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless uh, Joe, you got any final thoughts on the uh, the Jazz Rockets that you want to share? The Jazz and Rockets. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't really care that who's going to win out of that one. I still think the Rockets will take that one. I'm not really as scared as most people are of the Rockets in the second round because uh, I still have confidence that they're going to beat them. I mean, I think I think Harden will find it really hard to score on us. We're gonna we'll know how to defend them. I'm I'm confident in Steve Kerr. Yeah, you know. Uh... Shane Young, I think it was tonight, had some tweets about prepping for the season, the series preview, and watching all sorts of film. And like so much of it just comes down to does James Harden miss or not? And we have a couple of the best players at making him miss. I hope you're talking about Kevon Looney right now. I mean, that's the one. Th- that's the other thing I don't understand. The Rockets try to do they they switch Harden into Looney a lot, and you think by now they 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 know that it's not really as much of a mismatches people think it is it's like he does a great job of defending Harden he's oh, discipline stays down yeah doesn't foul switch on to DeMarcus yeah, Cousins I mean, and that's a good move but Looney ugh. yeah exactly try to run Boogie off the floor that's what I yeah do. agreed but then you run into Looney so yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah okay well it sounds like we're ready to start talking about Warriors now you ready showtime on May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. The Warriors got the Clippers, which a lot of people in the team uh, and around the team supposedly wanted, uh, not just for the travel, but for the actual matchup and stuff. So anyways, so uh, going back to our agenda here then, the, the next topic, remember this is, this is Golden Stats of Mind, so, so please be sure to uh, support your conclusions here. Well, what is your biggest concern about facing the Los Angeles Clippers? Me personally, um, I'm worried about Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell personally because um, to have a duo like that on the bench for the Clippers, I think that will be their secret weapon. Um, I can just imagine maybe when the second unit's on, Quinn Cook and Boogie are going to be exploited in the pick and roll like Lou Williams, Montrez. That's basically what I'm kind of low-key scared of. I'm not really scared, but a bit of a concern there. I think they'll I think they'll figure it out. I mean, I think the last game against the Clippers, they were they did a pretty good job of containing that. So, but yeah, I mean, 
when the bench units are on, I'm just going to hold my breath for a bit there. That's pretty much the only legitimate concern I have against the Clippers. Other than that, I think I don't really, I'm not really that much, uh, I'm not concerned about anything else. Maybe Pat Bev, Pat Bev, Patrick Beverly on Steph, like, might try to right, injure him, him or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the concern with that ankle already being wobbly. I think injuries are kind of the only thing worth truly worrying about in this series. I think that they're in the the Warriors can play down and the Clippers can play up and it's still not going to be particularly competitive. So you kind of just cross your fingers and hope that they can build up big enough leads that they can rest the starters for big minutes. But as far as actual, you know, non-injury things go, I think the biggest fear for me is just that the Clippers are so well coached and they move the ball so well and they kind of, you know, we, we referenced the, we believe warriors earlier in the podcast, the Clippers remind me a tiny bit of a very poor man's, we believe team just in how selfless they are, how much they want to get each other going and how much energy they play with at all times. And if the Warriors, you know, don't take it seriously, get stuck just kind of holding the ball, trying to play iso ball, they're probably still going to win in four or five games because they're just that much more talented. But the Clippers can make things interesting because there's a pretty good chance that they're going to have a big leg up on the Warriors in terms of energy and motivation and hustle and those little intangibles that really shouldn't matter that much, but kind of got the Clippers to the playoffs in the first place. Right. Well, I mean, that that kind of feeds into my biggest fear, which is getting the surprise punch and then taking a while to, to recover. I feel like the Warriors are, especially this last season, have been a little too comfortable with the, uh, oh, we'll just wait till the third quarter comes around and then blow them out. And the truth is that that doesn't, always work like that and sometimes you try and step on the gas and it's just not there and then you know you're down 20 at halftime and then you can't really make it up and you're all of a sudden you're starting the fourth quarter down 20 um and that's the that's the kind of attitude i think that the coaching staff and the veteran players now that the playoffs have started are aware of so i still think it'll be a sweep but if there was one thing that I was actually afraid of besides injuries, it would be that the Warriors sort of slacking off and getting out hustled. And I think just to add to that a little bit, like the Warriors are obviously going to win this series. There's no worry about that. But this is a marathon. This is the first round is the, is the first step of a marathon, and it only gets harder from there. And that's especially true this year with the seeding, the way it broke out that the Warriors' toughest matchup in the Western Conference playoffs isn't coming in the finals. It's coming in round two against Houston or Utah. So they have to be ready to go in round two, and they have to be ready to take every advantage that they can. So Houston and Utah are probably going to beat each other up a little bit. That series, I think, 
has a very good chance of going six or seven games long. If the Warriors can sweep this series, they get like a lot of rest before that series. They get to get fully healthy, fully rested. If you just sleepwalk your way and let LA win a game or two and you get stuck in a dogfight, that plays a role later, even if you win the series. See, yeah, I just, I'm comforted by the fact that we, we just did this last year. We just had this exact same conversation last year where the Warriors were coming in as the second seed and everybody was worried about how they'd been performing below their previous levels, particularly their defense, which is extra important in the playoffs. And then, bam, you know, they flipped the switch. They've got the best defense in the playoffs, and they, they sweep through everybody. That, I think, is what's going to happen again. I just don't think that this team – I'm just not drawing conclusion based on how lazy they were in the regular season because I think they know that this – you know, the, the kind of concerns that we have right now that we're talking about, they have, and they've been talking about all year – you know, they, they may not have necessarily practiced the good habits all season, but they certainly know them and they know how important it is. Yeah, they also didn't have Steph in the first round last year. So, I don't know. Like, I think that's something that's, I mean, that's something that sh- should be different now because, I mean, obviously Steph's going to be fine. I think he's going to be fine, right? Yeah, he's he'll be fine for game one. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. No, we're optimistic. Yeah, they're they're gonna. I think there's no excuse for them to be all lackadaisical and out of focus for game one. So. And I think there's the element where, like last year in the playoffs, like everyone was under contract except Durant, and KD had made it clear that he was going to resign as soon as the season ended. This year, there's obviously all the Durant drama. Clay's a free agent. Draymond's a year away from free agency. Like there's just a sense, and Steve Kerr said it on the you know the first day of training camp that they're that they were gonna try to enjoy this because they knew there was a chance that it was the final the final ride that they get. And even if they know in the locker room that Durant is coming back or something, or if they believe he's going to, they're all getting a year older. Things are changing, the league's getting better. Their competitors are getting better. They know that this isn't going to last forever. And I think this is the first year where it's obvious that it's going to come to an end eventually. Hopefully not this year, but eventually. And I just think they're going to be more motivated than last year where there seemed to be that attitude that it was going to keep going. There's always next year, even if this doesn't work out. Right. Well, and there's always, uh, you know, Sean Livingston is, is almost certainly going to retire that uh, was it, was it Slater or, or uh, Marcus Thompson? But somebody Slater, Slater yeah. with him, it's Slater, right? Where he was just talking about his legs and like having kids and being a family man. I mean, it sounds like the Warriors are almost certainly going to just straight buy him out. Yeah. Um, Marcus Cousins can't just basically, it's, there's, there's no realistic path to him staying with this team. Um, so yeah, one way or another. And then, you know, even if we bring all of our people back, you know, we're riding three max contracts at that point, which starts a sort of downward spiral. Um, you know, it's like the sort of uh, middle-aged uh, hard worker finally getting promoted to executive and sort of like riding out the high salary through his twilight years. Um we're going to have just so much money on the books for these very, very good, but aging players. 
and we're just not going to be able to add much help around them. And they see the players like Giannis and Embiid coming up. You know, they've been in those shoes. They know, they know the drill. Other teams are going to keep getting better, and they're going to keep aging, and they're going to get past at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Giannis. Giannis took a huge leap this year, um, and you know, and I think you sort of like tangentially uh, referenced this earlier, Brady, when you were talking about Simmons, but. I don't think it really matters that um, Giannis doesn't have a jump shot. He's so good without a jump shot. Like maybe he gets one, maybe he doesn't, but he's so good right now that I don't think that's like a reasonable criticism of him because it's fine. Uh, yeah. I think that's a testament to how the, the, the Bucks have been well built around Giannis. The fact that he doesn't Word. need a jump, jump shot. Yeah. I think if the Bucks weren't as constructed to be a good three-point shooting team, I think he would really have to develop one. But as of now, he doesn't really need that one. And I think that's the that's one of the arguments against Giannis for MVP. Like for some people say that, oh, like he, he that team is built around him. What if he didn't have anyone who could shoot the three? Would he be more? See, we say the same thing about Harden. Everyone's like, oh, he does it. By himself, but he doesn't do it all by himself. Yeah, he does. he's got Eric, Chris Paul. Like the team is built to maximize Harden's ability to just take people one on one. Yeah, I think they just look at the usage rate. The use. Yeah. Do you buy that? What? Do you buy that? About the, him. Uh, the Giannis criticism. criticism of Giannis. The Giannis yeah, yeah, like was, he's no, 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 no. I still think he's MVP. I think he should. He, he, I think for me, it's more clear than other people that he should get MVP over Harden. I just, I'm just trying to, I'm just repeating what other people have said about him, like the criticisms against him for being MVP. I think also, like, people have a hard time when there is a very clear element of a player's game that could be better people have a hard time kind of balancing that with how good the player still is. Cause like, yeah, Giannis has a bad jump shot. That's just obvious. And yeah, he would be better if he had a, you know, a Steph Curry level jump shot or even, you know, any, you know, 75% of that. But right. just the fact that you can so easily point to an area where he could be even better. Shouldn't take away from the fact that, with or without it, he's been the best player in the league this year. It's automatically Harden's defense that comes up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that's kind of fair. I mean, if we're we're talking about really like the top award, the most valuable, the best player, they should pretty much have a flawless game. He's flawless enough to be beyond reproach. But at the same time, I mean, every player has those. I mean, if you look back at the last three players being the MVP winners being Harden, Westbrook, and Curry. Those were three players who did not have much of a strong impact on the defensive end of the floor. The way that Giannis has, you know, he, he's going to get a lot of votes for defensive player of the year in addition to being an incredibly efficient mm-hmm. scorer. I mean, that's probably who I'd vote for if I had a ballot. He's deserving. Sorry, Draymond. <laughs> not Draymond's year. Nah. No. But uh, yeah, I would I would totally give it to Giannis. I mean that that team has been legitimately scary all year. They have been start to finish. They've been the best team. 
Then again, NBA Twitter is telling me that if Harden doesn't get it, it's a robbery. So, you know, NBA Twitter. You need to unfollow some people, Joe. Be all in, though. (laughs) (laughs) You need to locate that mute button on some kind of. I for me the MVP is was always supposed to be the best player on the best team, like kind of period. Like unless someone does some absurd record breaking, you know, Russell Westbrook's averaging a triple double craziness. It should be the best player on the best team. Like most valuable player should mean that in my opinion. But the NBA has never put out any sort of definition. There's just like a minutes minimum is the only concrete guidance on that. So I think it has sort of become like flashiest offensive impact, which makes it even more impressive that a guy like Giannis would be in the the conversation for it, which again is testament to how scary those bucks look. Also, how much more interesting they are to talk about than the Clippers when you're trying to figure out what's going to happen to the Warriors. Very true. Um, Was that everybody? Did everybody go with their stats matchup? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, no, that was the biggest concern. Stat or matchup that you think would be indicative of how the series went? I'll go with this one. So I think the biggest matchup here is Danilo Gallinari versus whoever is guarding him at any given time. Most likely Draymond Green. Gallo, now that Tobias Harris has obviously been traded away from the Clippers, Gallo's been, in my opinion, clearly their best player. Lou Williams obviously gets the hype with the scoring, but... Gallinari's just been a tremendous player, but he has not been that good against the Warriors this year. In three games, he's averaging just 13.3 points, seven rebounds, 1.3 assists. Did he play that final game, Brady? He did not play in the final game. He did not play. Neither did Patrick Beverly. Right. See, this is going to be a tough matchup to break down from a, a stats standpoint because. Three out of the four games we had against these guys, it was like a totally different team. Like, they didn't just make a couple of minor trades. They, like, drastically reshuffled, you know, things that would impact usage and ball distribution and even rotations. Like, they reinvented themselves. And then the one game that we played against the reinvented version, they didn't even have most of their players, right? They were missing, like, three or four of their main guys. Yeah, so the final, the fourth game, which the Warriors won comfortably 131 to 104 that was the only was time that Golden State of mine night? that oh that was, was the last home game of the regular season yes last home game of the regular season so they won that comfortably but that was the only time they played them without Tobias Harris and they had no Gallinari no Patrick Beverly it was just kind of a weird lineup that they threw out there Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell both started which was something they have not been doing this year Doc Rivers was just kind of throwing things at the wall. Man, but I mean, Montrez Harrell and Shamit, Landry Shamit. Yes, Landry Shamit. Shamit. They kind of did some sham wow. They kind of did some damage in that fourth game, right? They did. They really did. I like Shamit. I mean, he's. I think he'll. I think his floor will be a JJ Redick. His ceiling will be Clay Thompson if he improves his defense. Whoa. I think you're yeah, high. That on is him. a I'm, hot take. I'm high. I'm high on Shamit. I mean, I he's think he's a fun player. Yeah. He was a little bit of a throw in, it felt like, in that trade, but now he's looking like a, a key part of of LA's future. But anyway, like 
we haven't seen the Clippers as they're currently constructed is kind of the point here. But in the three games that Gallinari played, he had a he shot really efficiently, 63.1% true shooting, but he just couldn't get open, couldn't get a lot of shots off. So many of his makes were just system makes where other players got him open. And when the Clippers are at their best, Gallinari has been an offensive star, been a creator for himself, been a guy who can go out there and get you 20 points and kind of put the team on the on his back when the offense isn't getting good looks. And if the Warriors can keep limiting that, I don't think there is a player in the league who guards Gallinari as well as Draymond Green does. He's just excellent at breaking down the spots that Gallo wants to get to and forcing him into the less comfortable areas of the floor. It's masterful to watch. So that's that's the matchup that I'm watching because if Draymond Green is checked in and really motivated and healthy, I think that Gallinari is going to have an incredibly difficult time getting going. And if he can't get going, I don't think the Clippers can get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Mm, I'm not really that concerned about Gallinari either. I think I have complete faith in Draymond. I, I think even right now, as we speak, as 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 we speak, he's probably pulling up clips of Gallo, seeing how he defended him in the past, where his tendencies are. Yeah, I'm not too concerned about Danilo because, yeah, he's pretty much the head of the snake in that starting lineup. And then once there, he's not effective, it's it's barbecue chicken for everyone else. <laughs> so who's your who's your matchup to watch? What's your stat that's going to be indicative? For me, the matchup would probably be actually I think Cousins versus Zubac. It's going to be interesting to watch because I don't know, like uh, like that last game against the Clippers, I think Zubac did a pretty good job on Cousins all things considered. Like Zub, like Cousins was flustered against Zubac. Like Zubac, like Zubac didn't bite on Cousins' fakes down low. Pretty much stayed in front of him when Cousins tried to drive. And yeah, and I think an interesting strategy that the Clippers tried to employ against Boogie—they left them open on the perimeter. They let him shoot. Yeah, but what did he end up, Brady? What did he end up shooting in that fourth game? What did Boogie shoot? So Boogie shot four for 15, took seven three-pointers, and made two of them. Yeah, the, the, the two yeah. were in the second half, if I remember yeah. correctly. Right. I think after Garbage he missed time. his first five, and then he was like, screw it, here we go. <laughs> Dialed in after his first the, five. The interesting thing about that, though, was that was the the game that Doc decided to start Harrell at. And kind of switched between Harrell and Zubats, and they both did a really good job on Cousins, which is weird because Harrell, for as great of a year as he has had, is just a hilariously bad defensive player. And Boogie was so uncomfortable against him. He was so uncomfortable against both of them all night long, which makes me wonder if maybe it was, you know, something on DeMarcus's end rather than on the defense end by the Clippers. Yeah, maybe maybe he was a bit too amped up for that. Or yeah. maybe just, yeah. 
maybe overthought overthought things maybe like i don't know but yeah i think i think the next time harold tries to guard cousins i think boogie will do a much better job it's subots that i'm concerned with because subots is a legitimately good defender down low he's strong or he's strong i mean boogie boogie is boogie normally overpowers most people down low but Zubat has that strength to match him up like he can match up with him strength wise down low he seems really bothered by him and he has discipline too he doesn't he doesn't bite on the fakes he stays down and yeah i'm just really a bit like a bit concerned about that but i i think if the warriors like the, the warriors play small i think that won't be a concern like they go to Hamptons five if they need to. That's not gonna be. It's not gonna be a concern at all. Best net rating in the league. Yeah, plus one, two, three. <laughs> um. So yeah, so my stat was actually related to that because my stat was uh, the number of three point shot attempts by Demarcus Cousins and Draymond Green. Uh, <laughs> I think. Draymond is really going to have to fight his demons here in the playoffs because teams are definitely going to give him, and to a lesser extent, Boogie, those open outside looks at threes. And it's just, even if you make it, that's just not not a shot that our offense is designed to make. So I think that if they challenge them to take and miss a lot of threes or you know, maybe they get lucky one night and then take some ill-advised threes under, uh, you know, some some ill-advised situations, you know, possibly an end of the game. I know DeMarcus Cousins was out getting quoted today about his dream is to make the big game-winning shot in the championship. I just, I think both him and Draymond are hungry for that sort of moment. And I think that the Clippers' game plan is probably to trick them into wanting those moments. And giving him those moments, so I, I'm I'm very interested to see Demarcus Cousins and Draymond Green's three point attempts remain on the low side. Uh, I know Draymond is not a robot, but you got to be able to tell your game, man. Like my coach used to shout, "You're open for a reason, man. You can't you can't let them dictate the team making an inefficient choice just because it's a good look for you personally." So on that note, Cousins against the Clippers this year, 46.8% true shooting. Draymond, 45.7% true shooting. <laughs> now, Boogie gets a little yeah. bit of a pass because he only played the Clippers twice. Once was that bad game we just discussed, and the other was his season debut. So it may not be that predictive for him. Draymond, there, you don't really get a pass there. What were those percentages again? 45.7% for Dre. 46.8 for Boogie. From three? No, no, true shooting, not not from three. Oh, that's their true yeah. shooting? That's worse than Westbrook, actually. That's worse than Westbrook. <laughs> right? <laughs> See, so that's, that is a, a golden stat that we we have to be worried about, man. I mean, it, it came up in the regular season, too. It did. But if anyone needs to feel better, after hearing that news, Kevin Durant true shooting against the Clippers, 66.6%. St- right. Steph Curry Whoa. true shooting, 69.5%. Murder. So just give them the ball. That's, and You know, we're, 
me and uh, Daniel are working on the series preview right now. And uh, that was my initial point with Kevin Durant. I mean, it's sort of repetitive in analyzing these playoff series, but like you need to have, you can actually slow Durant down, actually prevent him from being an efficient offensive player. And then that person also needs a helper, somebody else who can cover when they're out or help them with rotations. You know, we're really good at switching in the pick and roll now. And I think that the Clippers just don't have anybody. I mean, Gallinari was all right, I guess, but he was never known as a defensive player, even though he was pretty solid. But he's had, like, some pretty serious knee issues. He's not quick enough to keep up, which – you know, you're now you're all the way down to someone like, uh, what's the rookie Shea? Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, I just don't think, I don't think that that guy's going to be your answer either. Yeah, this is where they're really going to miss Tobias Harris. I think Harris was a little bit overrated as a defender, but he's that kind of a guy who can physically match up with a Kevin Durant and can switch if necessary. They just don't have don't have that at all. I mean they might just end up throwing someone hilariously small on him. They might put, well, I, I'm guessing they'll end up putting like Garrett Temple on him and just praying to God. On KD? On KD, yeah. Because <laughs> who else? I mean, that guy's gonna, I guess you, I right? guess you could I mean, put Gallo on him. That's the point, though, is like, who else? They just they don't yeah. have a wing defender. They might try putting Patrick Beverly on KD. You know, like sort of like how, they put that Chris Paul defends KD. Yeah, I wouldn't I mean, put it that on. Yeah, I mean KD has have had a little a bit of trouble against one of those those smaller pesky defender types. There's something to kind of be said for that too against KD because people get so worried about matching up with him physically. You can't. It doesn't matter who you have. He's going to shoot over you. He's going to shoot over Kawhi Leonard. He's going to shoot over Giannis. So like, you're not going to stop him there. So. Why are you? He always worried? finds a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll make a difference. But I mean, if I were, if I were Doc Rivers, I mean, what can you do, right? Just try everything. Throw everything at him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the Clippers are a bad defensive team. They have been all year. So they'll throw the kitchen sink, but they just they haven't had anything this year that has worked defensively, with or without Tobias Harris. All the different permutations of their lineup that they've had this year nothing has worked defensively so you're going up against you know the, probably the best offense in nba history and you have a below league average defense your hands are kind of tied yeah all right you guys ready for the final question let's do it you're steve kerr. you're steve kerr it's a meeting before the game you're throwing a wrinkle into the game plan What are you going to do? I love this question. I am going to pander to Warriors Twitter a little bit here. But I think if I'm Steve Kerr, I come out and I announce every other possession, at least, we're running a Steph Curry, Kevin Durant high pick and roll. And we're just going to let our best players probably you know two of the five best offensive players in the history of the sport do what they do best because no one can defend them especially on this clippers team and, and you're not you're not saving that for later in the playoffs brady i i don't get the whole saving it idea 
Like, what is any defense? Surprise! Like, but what is any defense going to do? Going to be like, oh crap, we didn't know they had those players. They now we have some <laughs> intel. Like, oh crap, we're going to ice the pick and roll. Yeah, like I don't think I don't think it's. Well, yeah, a, but it'll be like trap Steph hard and then take a step back and try and intercept the bounce pass because he always throws a bounce pass. Yeah, I mean there there are things you can do, but like people know what's going to come eventually. There's no element of surprise with it. I think Kerr hides it because he has this like hilariously socialistic view of how a team should operate and doesn't want Kevon Looney and Quinn Cook to not get their fair share of shots just because his Hall of Fame players happen to be really freaking good at basketball. And there's a yeah, lot well, of I think it's more than just shots. I think it's it's engaged on offense and yeah, defense. Yeah, and I I agree with that. I think it's a good strategy during the regular season, even if it makes me want to pull my hair out and pull Steve Kerr's hair out sometimes. But I think once you get to the playoffs, like I mentioned earlier, I think they're the most important thing in this series is to get through it as quickly as possible with no injuries and with maximum rest time. So Mm -hmm. I think you just got to go for the jugular from the opening tip. And like I said, Steph, 69.5% true shooting against the Clippers this year, 32.3 points per game played three games against the Clippers this year and had one turnover. Damn. And Durant 27 points, 8.5 rebounds, 6.8 assists per game, 66.6% true shooting. Those two can't be stopped. I think there are certain players who get the reputation as a Steph stopper. And some of them actually are, and some of them actually aren't. And I feel like Beverly is one of those guys who is just really pesky, but I don't feel like he really slows Steph down unless Steph is injured. So Steph I dropped, more... Steph dropped 42 last time they faced off. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. I think that healthy Steph like, gets his fangs out when a guy like Beverly is matched up against him because he's out there proving, no, this guy is not a Steph stopper. And I, I think what Beverly does really well is he is extremely physical. And he is exceptional at moving laterally without fouling. And that's a great skill against most guards because you can just body them up, pressure them, and keep them from getting mm-hmm. to their spot. Steph? Which worries the most about Steph's ankle. Yeah, you, you worry about the ankle. But... With, with occasional glass ankle syndrome, I can tell you, man, like getting bumped while you're trying to slide sideways is like exactly how you roll your ankle. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty much how we rolled it. Versus the Pelicans, like that was pretty much just a little bump and he just lost. But putting aside the injury, that type of defense that Beverly plays, it's not as important against Curry as it is against a guy like Kyrie who wants to dazzle and go side to side because Curry just wants to go front and back until he has an inch of space and then he's going to make the shot in your face regardless. Mm -hmm. So... I just don't think that matters as much with Beverly and Beverly for all his great on ball skills. He's not a great off ball defender. So he's small. He's like six. And he gets lost. He, he steel hunts. As soon as you pass, he's like stays for a half second too long. That Steph relocation three that he's been making so much lately. I think that's going to be there all night long against Beverly. Cause once he passes and cuts, Beverly's going to be a half second late to actually move with him. Yeah. Okay. Ready for my change. Yeah, go for it. I think that uh, I think this is a good series to actually uh, run our main guys a little harder than we normally would. 
I don't want to see us messing around with our bench. Uh, I think the Clippers have like the best bench in the league. Um, or at least that's what the NBA little stats handout says. I think that we don't even want to try and mess with our strength and number scene. And like, you know, maybe we get some minutes for a guy like McKinney and Jerebko, but, uh, I really would not go down to the bottom of the bench. I'd probably lean on my guys for a little bit more minutes. Uh, Joe, do you want you got a, a change for Steve Kerr? You, you just yeah, say- actually, uh, uh, it's something that has to do with the second unit. Like I, I mentioned earlier, that I'm a bit concerned about um, the, the 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 I'm picturing Quinn Cook and Boogie being exploited by Williams and Harrell in the pick and roll, and I think. Quinn, I mean, I love Quinn. He's have he, he's been having a big uh, resurgence as of late on the offensive end, but defensively, I still don't have any faith in him. So, I think what I'd prefer for for Kerr to play as start of like the second and fourth quarter is put uh, put Livingston in as the point guard, and maybe for, for the four slot in um, Jarebko maybe. And that's pretty much the only modification I'll make in the in the second unit. I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that'll be a big of a, a a really big concern, but I just can't see how. I mean, if I was Doc Rivers, I'd really, really exploit Cook, Quinn, and Boogie in the pick and roll with. Lou oh yeah, I mean that's Errol. that's Lou Williams' whole job. That's yeah, Lou Williams' whole career right there. I mean, the horror of him getting 20 free throw attempts in game one because Quinn Cook and Boogie can't stay in front of him. So, you know. Man, I had to resist using uh, uh, foul call counts as my indicative stat. Remember the, <laughs> the game that KD blew up, like, he fouled all the way out. I think it went to overtime, but he fouled all the way he out did. of that game. Yeah, he did. Which is one of the few times I think I've ever seen KD out. So that brings up a, another stat here. The Clippers led the league in free throw rate this year, not just in games no, against the Warriors. That's free throws but... per field goal attempts? Yes, free throws per possession. Oh, see? Here at Golden Stats, we're always learning. Always learning things. And in the in the game, matchups between the Warriors and the Clippers, Clippers averaged 31.8 free throws per game, Warriors 25.3. So the Clippers are going to force it. Yeah, mm-hmm. they will. I mean, it'll be it'll be it'll be a crime if they don't. I mean, I think yeah. that's probably their only chance. Take it inside. Try to yeah. draw fouls, right? Which is why we are not fouling is important, or not uh, turning the ball over is important. But we, can't, I mean, Kerr's talked about it a lot this year, but like, we can't. We can concede the possession battle. But we can't concede the possessions and the rebounds and the turnovers. Dubby, can I go back to to what you said about your um, what you would change up real quick? Sure. I have, I have a stat I want to want to bring up that feels relevant to. Oh, good. You. Well, we need a good strong closing here, Brady, because we're yeah. we're right at our target time frame. We're at our time here, so let let's end with this stat here. So you were talking about wanting to to ride the starting unit hard here. So the Clippers this year led the league. Again, this is by per cleaning glass. They led the league in wins relative to win expectation. 
So basically, they overperformed they, the most. They overperformed the most. They they won five point three more games than you would statistically expect them. Than to. they quote unquote should have. Exactly. The Warriors were twenty sixth. They won two point seven fewer games than their net rating suggested that they should. So there are a lot of you know different reasons that contribute to that. A lot of it is just sometimes luck how you perform in the final moments of games whether you make your last shot etc etc i think a lot of it for the clippers and warriors comes down to effort level that the clippers stayed in games and gave themselves a chance to win on the nights where they probably should have lost and the warriors slept walk slept sleepwalked through a lot of games lost the games that they should have won and then made it up by blowing out a team by 35 the next night. So I agree with you that you got to ride the starters hard because the longer you keep a team like the Clippers in, since the Clippers know they have nothing to lose here, they have, they can just do whatever the hell they want. Nothing is. Yeah. They can get swept and still call the season to win. Yeah, yeah, their season is a success no matter what happens here. The Warriors have everything to play for. Don't leave that door open. Yeah, that, I agree. All right, well, let's let's end in in accordance. You know, we, it's good to have agreement here. I think uh, I think this is another successful Golden Stats of Mind podcast, Brady. I think I think this was pretty good, and uh, hopefully, we'll be back for round two or something.